Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome all of you watching online today uh, from wherever you might be as far as Africa to as close as down the street but didn't want to put your clothes on. Come to church. So we're glad that you have tuned in. It is a new year with all kinds of new opportunities. And um, I know oftentimes we watch the video announcements and we kind of don't watch them. We just kind of go, okay, when they're done, the preaching starts. But I want to reiterate a couple of things to you. One is uh, how important it is, especially if you're a parent, to be involved in your child's spiritual growth and biblical knowledge. Uh, you know, every year the hardest position or place to fill in the church is people willing to work for 30 minutes to an hour with children. And it is probably the most important area of ministry in our church. Uh, and so those of you that have considered it, not wanted to do it, but you know you should do it, please sign up and be a part of it. Typically, Pastor Michael, if he has enough people it's once a month. You're talking an hour of your time, and, and they're your kids too. Pause. You see, the baby chimed in perfectly. Uh, and so we'd love for you to get involved. I, I, Pastor Michael is doing a great job, and when he talks about discipleship, safety, and security, what he's saying is your kids are going to be in a safe environment because we have a system that creates that safe environment, and they're going to learn about Jesus. So please, please, if you have any leaning, even if you're leaning the opposite direction, start leaning back towards saying, I want to serve this year and help children. And uh, it's so absolutely important. The second thing is, this year we're adding a couple of things to try to help us uh, facilitate relationships. Uh, we're going to have a Women of Mosaic uh, gathering, and we're calling it a ministry instead of small groups. The, the current plan, and I, it could change, I don't think it will, but the current plan is to have the women in, in the auditorium twice a month, Beth Moore video, and then breaking out into small groups. And so that will start happening, uh, I believe, in February. Uh, we're having a men, a mosaic men, will have a breakfast once a month, the fourth uh, Saturday of each month. And then we will have a uh, every other week or twice a month, there will be uh, a mentoring mosaic men. And that will come from myself, Jesse, and some other leaders uh, where we, we basically are addressing issues that are primarily men issues and, and not issues, but just helping. How do I start a business? Why well, businessmen? It's a mentoring group for us to get to know each other. And uh, hopefully we have enough guys to ride motorcycles because uh, I'd kind of like to mentor you in that too. Uh, <laughs> It'd be fun for us to go riding, stuff like that, just to kind of build relationships. So that's going to be happening this year. So uh, there'll be more information, and we'll have sign-ups uh, for these 
particular ministries next Sunday. Well, today we begin a series entitled Creating a Heart for God's House. Um, you know, in a world that is filled with choices, uh, it's, it's so difficult with information, marketing, coming from every direction, uh, everybody trying to get a little bit of our time, a little bit of our money, some of our skills, some of our gifts, a lot of people pulling on us, a lot of things on television. It's just amazing now how everything comes to us on Facebook, Instagram, all the marketing on there. And so we're inundated with information. And it's difficult at the end of the day to uh, sort through all the information that we read and hear uh, to really come to the end of the day and go, I made a lot of good decisions because you're forced to process things so rapidly. And as a result of that, uh, as human beings, we have a tendency to do what's easiest, what's the most convenient thing to do. And uh, I love the fact that people are watching online. I want to specifically welcome you and thank you for being a part of this experience and hopefully that you'll give me the next 20, 25 minutes of your time. I believe it's an investment in you as it is in the people that are here. But it is uh, so important that we understand that everything that's convenient is not necessarily good. Uh, everything that's easy isn't necessarily developing us. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I mean, you know, there was a time when we had ABC, NBC, CBS, and, and I'm embarrassed to say that I remember when Fox first came on the air. It was a big deal because, you know, we had all these national, and then Fox comes on and, and did a lot more local stuff. And so we had four channels as a kid. It really wasn't that tough. We didn't have many decisions to make. We had four channels, and three out of four were never good. And every now and then you had one, so we'd go outside and play. Well, now you have 9,268 channels, plus you have Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, and, and God knows the list of other things, and, and those are on demand, so you don't have to endure commercials anymore. And, and so everything is just so easy nowadays, and yet the easiness and the convenience has made things far more difficult. Uh, who do I give my time to? What do I give my time to? Uh, who do I have a relationship with? What do I buy? Where do I go? And I mean, all these things are challenging us today to keep our focus. And we're so spread out in our thinking that if we, at the end of the day, make some good decisions, we're as surprised as everybody else. I mean, I remember, you know, you guys have heard my story. We, we, I grew up in a, in a lower middle class area outside of Tulsa. And, uh, you know, we weren't wealthy by any stretch. And I, I remember that at least my dad, he, he built a house and, and he was really good with his hands. And so we had a house, we had indoor plumbing. And this will sound really funny, but I had an aunt across the street who did not have indoor plumbing. And so when I went to spend the night with my aunt, you didn't drink a lot of pop before you went to bed. <laughs> you know, and you didn't want to go outside. And I know some of you, you cannot fathom this in a world in a day where we have Auto flush toilets. We're so lazy. You don't even have to flush anymore. It's just automatic. It's it's amazing, and, and so we have all these wonderful things that are so convenient, and awesome, that have caused us to lose a little bit of our edge. I'm thankful for online technology, but but still the same. There's nothing like being with people physically face to face. There's just nothing like it. Uh, nothing will ever replace the touch of another human being. The Bible says believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. There's a scientific as well as a biblical reason for that. 
Literally, your body has vibrations. Science has proven this. I believe it's why the Bible says that we'll lay hands on the sick. That, that there is something that happens when one human being touches another human being. And that you can't do that online. You can learn online. You can hear online. But you will never, ever have the same feelings and response as being with other people. And so this year, I am focused on creating a greater heart for the house of God that we want to come together. I mean, it's so amazing this time of year. Everybody's setting goals. I don't know if any of you have done that yet, but it gets kind of depressing about February. I was a part of the same gym for 19 years. It was a little boutique gym up uh, at uh, about 150th and, and Penn, and, uh, or actually between Kilpatrick and 150th, and, and they closed. But I remember every year for 19 years, I would go in, and I knew the staff behind the desk. It was a little gym, and and uh, I would ask them, I said, how many people have signed up? They'd tell me. I'd say, okay, how many will be here at the end of the month? They said, probably none. I mean, it was always interesting. It's like, I want, I've got goals. You know, they got a new pair of Nikes and a workout outfit from their husband or wife. Because, you know, the husband and wife are looking and saying, you need to lose weight. What's my best way to kind of encourage you? Obviously not telling your husband he's fat and his six-pack has become a keg. Uh, <laughs> You know, the best thing would be to, I got you some tennis shoes. Oh, honey, you don't need to, but, you know, it would be a great place to wear those at the gym. And they go for two or three weeks, and they have a goal. I'm going to drop 60 pounds. And so typically what they do is they go find, home, find a six something that weighs 60 pounds, and they drop it, and they say, I succeeded. And so uh, anyway, and then, then if that's not enough, somebody had the brilliant idea of coming up with a this big wide belt. If you remember those that, that you tied them around, you snapped them around you, and they pulsated. You know, so now you're, you're going you're gonna to get abs while you eat ice cream in the easy chair. <laughs> because it's just pulsating. And you get up and you go, can you tell the difference? Not really. Your stomach's red. That's about it. <laughs> I mean... We have fallen prey to so many marketing things that, that don't help us, but they're easy. Can I tell you something? Living a Christian life and being a follower of Christ is not easy. We have flesh. We have desires. We have thoughts that, that come into our minds every day. And, and we have these things that happen, and, and we're just overwhelmed with all of these opportunities and, and gratifications and, you know, all of these things. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves making the decision that is the easiest one to make. And so I want us to today to begin really focusing on what's it going to take for me to be the person that I really want to be in 2019. And I can tell you right now, for some of you that, that have, you know, maybe a seven to four or eight to five job, and you say, man, it's just hard for me to get up and, and, and spend a little time with God and prepare for the day. And, you know, I know it's hard because you might have stayed up late. you got a full day. you got to come home and work when you get home. And, and you just want, you want to take every minute you can to sleep. And the reality is, though sleep might be helping your body a little bit, it's probably not helping your life. Time with God is what's going to change your life. Just even a little bit of time with God. And that's a sacrifice. And you do lose some sleep. And you do give up something to get something. And that's what we don't understand is we don't want to realize that everything's a trade-off. That we're giving up something to get something. And that we're having to make those decisions in order to become the people that we want to become. 
that we want to become, not that somebody else wants us to become. And this is where we get trapped, is we ask somebody, what, what do you want from me? What do you expect from me? And you know what? You may be totally different than that person, and they're asking you to be like them. Or you think your life's going to be better if somebody else changes. And so we're always addressing people, trying to get our life to be better by somebody else changing. The reality, you can have an unbelievable life if you choose to ask Jesus, Lord, what can I do to be the person you want me to be? Regardless of who else likes it or who else approves of it, that you have decided to care more about who Jesus wants you to be than somebody else wants you to be. Most of the time, our happiness is based on how people respond to us rather than how we respond to God. If people like us, in the moment they like us, we feel happy. How many of you know you can't live that way? Because you can't make everybody like you all the time. I read a book some years back going through my journey to try to change my thinking. And I'm a very A-type person, organized for the most part. Uh, And some of you would say ultra-organized, though I would not call myself that. But I'm fairly organized. I like certain things in a certain place. I like things picked up. I'm neat. I like things that way. And there's a tendency to believe that as long as I have that, that, that I can be happy. And the only way to have that, especially if you have other people in the house, is to make them comply with what makes you happy. Which, guess what? If they don't comply, uh, you're not happy. If they do comply, they're not happy. So the whole home's not happy. And this one lady was telling her story after a nervous breakdown, ended up institutionalized alienated from her children and her family because she was that type person. And she had an encounter with God. And after her encounter with God, she realized that the things that were happening in her life were a result of how she thought and what she expected. It wasn't about anybody else. She would come home. She liked shoes picked up, socks. And so she had children. She had a husband who didn't pick things up. And she would come home. There would be shoes everywhere, socks everywhere, shirts, uh, plates left out. And, and typically this would be, I, I'm, right, I was, I'm tracking with her, okay? I'm thinking, well, bless God, we're getting ready to crack the whip around here. Because that's typically what we do. And, uh, and it, it can work for a while, and, and, but nobody's happy. So she realized in her encounter with God that it didn't bother everybody else because if it bothered everybody else, they'd be picking stuff up, right? So what she decided was, since it didn't bother anybody else, it bothered her that she would go around and pick everything up. So she began doing that. And in doing that, she found such joy and happiness because the world was the way she wanted it and, and she didn't require anybody else to make her happy. Guess what happened? Over time... Because she was so kind and she was doing all this, everybody realized it was a value to her. And they began following suit because she was no longer making them do it. But because she was loving them and doing it, they began to do it because they saw that she valued that. In other words, she decided, I'm going to do in life for me. I'm going to develop. And I get what you're saying. Listen, I understand what you're thinking. Well, that's just not fair. I've yet to find fairness in life. You see mean people prosper and good people fail. We see 
bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And you say, this is not fair. You're right. And because things are not fair and we want things to be fair, our focus is on fair. And when things aren't fair and they're never going to be fair, then we're unhappy our whole lives. I want to be happy my whole life. I just decided I'd rather be joyful around idiots than unhappy around perfect people. So you begin to change the way you think. It's called personal growth, and it's filled with pain. I want to encourage you today. What I'm teaching you is going to be so stinking painful. It's going to be so difficult. But I know you can do it. Why? Because it's about taking charge of your life and saying, Jesus, here I am. Here's what I, I, I just want to live a life filled with joy. And if I stay in your presence, your Bible says, your word says, I'll be joyful. And so that begins by realizing you can't change other people. And if they do change because you've asked them to change, they're not happy. And you're going to sense that. And it's going to make you sad too. So this is about your own personal growth. This message today is about growing personally. What do I need to do this year so that my life is filled with joy and peace when there's chaos all around me? Because there will always be chaos in the world because we live in a fallen world. So I'm going to take those steps. In Psalm 122, verse 1, it says, I rejoiced with those who said to me. You've got to ask yourself, what are people saying to you? What, what demands are being put on you? Because there are a lot of voices out there that are interfering with a lot of choices in here. And the psalmist said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Whenever God becomes a priority in our lives and we surrender our life to the presence of God, we see things differently. Now, we are to some degree a product of the environment in which we were raised. There's no doubt that the influence of the culture that we were raised in will always have an effect on our lives. Now, I grew up being quite angry because anger seemed to be the only thing that moved anybody. Now, it wasn't a violent anger. It was just an anger. I knew if my dad wanted something that if I didn't do it, he was going to get mad. And when he got mad, I didn't like it. So, so I knew he was going to get mad. So I did it not because I wanted to and not because I loved my dad, but because I did not want anger to be a part of my life. But guess what? I grew up to be just like him. Remember the song, Cats in the Cradle? Yeah, it's not all that far off. And you grow up to be just like that. And before you know it, it's not by design that you are who you are today. It is by default. You are who you are oftentimes because you grew up in a culture and it was convenient. This is how we roll. This is how we communicate. How many of you have heard people say, in our family, we're just honest. No, you're just mean. You can call it whatever you want. But telling someone they look ugly is just not, that's not honest, that's mean. You know, are you wearing that today? Wow, okay. You know, we just tell the truth in our house. Sometimes you just need to shut up. You are not the fashion police, nor the sheriff, nor the deputy, Barney. And sometimes we feel compelled to make everybody else. It's like our kids. You dress your kids, mom and dad, typically when they're small. You don't dress your kids for any other purpose than to make you look good. I love it when I see kids with clothes stained. They're going through the market because those are kids. 
The only reason they look nice is so parents can say, I take care of my kids. I dress them fashionably. And they're miserable. It's not about them. It's all about us. We're parents. We don't look like bad parents because your kid has a stain on his clothes. The kid could care less. Kid's, kid's happier than you are. You're miserable. The kid's happy. He doesn't care. She doesn't care. So why do we care? I'm not sure this is good parenting, but now that my kids are raised, I really like what I'm saying. <laughs> we, just, we, just, we just make our lives miserable because we're so worried about everybody else's opinion of us, what everybody else is going to think of us, that we're really not growing personally. We're miserable. My personal growth is that I want to be who Jesus called me to be. I want to be filled with joy. I want to be filled with peace. I want to be happy not because you like me, but because I like me. And you know what? You don't have to like me for me to be happy. But I am happy that you're here, which tells me you like me a little bit. But some of you say, I don't really like you. I just come search for God. Okay, good. I'm glad. And some of y'all don't even like him. I know because you killed his son. Anyway, not you, of course. But somebody in our family line did. I'm sure I had a relative that was there saying crucify him. That would have been my family line. Come on, get him out of here. And some of you can't admit that. But your family was there with my family. But you would never admit to that. Because it would make your life miserable to think that you ever did anything wrong. I've come to the place where I was like... First point I want to make today, and probably the only one, given the time I have. is It's time to be honest with yourself. There have been people throughout my past that politely pointed out some things that I didn't see. I was one of these kids that went to college, and I'll never forget, I didn't declare a minor, so I thought I'm going to take some things just for fun. And, of course, I was enrolled in theology, knowing I was going to become a preacher, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with a minor. So I took Psychology 101. (laughs) Fell in love with it because I thought I was going to help other people. Little did I know, I was there getting analyzed. (laughs) This was never about me helping anybody else. God's going, when will you get some help? Because where I grew up, if you went to see a psychologist or psychiatrist, they weren't psychologists or psychiatrists. They were shrinks. They had no credibility and, and in my world, and yet I desperately needed counseling. And so God is so... Is it okay to say sneaky? I slide into this. I fell in love with psychology. I found myself in classes... I, was, I, I mean, literally crying through classes. Because for the first time in my life, I was seeing parts of me I didn't know existed. And, and I, I began, in that moment, I changed some. I didn't change drastically as I would have liked to have changed. But it was the beginning for me of a change the rest of my life. Because I realized, we're all messed up. <laughs> me included. I thought I was excluded from the rest of you. I thought for sure that I was called to transform all of your lives, that I was one of the few that could possibly do that. 
it was such an honor for God to pick me out and let me know how great I was. <laughs> Until I enrolled in psychology courses and went, I suck too. <laughs> Welcome to the human race. And now I find joy in realizing when, when something is pointed out to me that there is a flaw or something in my life, I go, wow, I am so glad to know this. If I would have known this a long time ago, I'd have probably been a lot better off because now I can address it. I can fix Mark. Typically, we're trying to fix everybody else so that our life is wonderful. If we can get everybody else to line up and be like us, then our world will be wonderful. It will be worse. It will be terrible. You'll take away who people are instead of enjoying that God made them different than you. And, and nobody's perfect, and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. There are some people who are so incredibly messy that this is how the whole... I don't know how many of you had parents who did their very best to raise you. And I remember my mother saying these words, and I just knew they were in the Bible since... All we had back then pretty much was King James, and even King James couldn't understand it. And, and so my mother would, in order to get us to take a bath, cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh, my gosh, let's bathe three times a day. This is the way to become holy. A little ivory soap. Back in the day, we had lava. Any of your, it was like sandpaper. <laughs> It's not in the Bible. It sounded good, and I felt like it would make me closer to God. It didn't. I, I have less skin as I get older. It's because of lava. <laughs> but it wasn't until I went to college, went into this psychology course, that I realized I had a lot of Mark Crow and Mark Crow that needed to get out of Mark Crow. I find today I still have a lot of me in me that needs to get out of me. And John said this, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. In order for God to increase and your giftedness and your joy and your peace to increase, it's all about personal reduction. Reducing yourself and increasing God. And that means putting ourselves in the right place. In the right place. And I believe, I still believe the Bible is as real and alive today as the day the ink dried and I look at Psalm chapter 92, and it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. Where are you going to grow? You say, well, that's outdated. You know, if we start throwing parts of the Bible out, you have to throw the whole Bible out. The house of the Lord will never go away. With technology, it's great. When we have to be gone... When we want to take a vacation, whatever, that's great. But high tech will never replace high touch. We can have all the technology that we need to make, create a great experience. But we're human beings and touch is still paramount in our lives. We live in a world that is so separated, isolated. Social media is awesome at the same time. It's a curse. We feel like we got people vomiting on, on, on Facebook. I just want to say, you know, I, these are real issues. They're, they're legitimate. 
But you're just throwing up. You're not getting help. You're just throwing up on everybody else and creating an argument. You're not going to develop or grow by arguments. We grow because we get good information, and the application of good information creates transformation. And the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And if you get the wrong information, there will be no transformation in your life. That revelation that comes through information is what opens the door to us making choices that create the transformation in our lives that we need to become everything God wants us to become. When someone addresses you, even if it's mean, unkind, you can look at them and say, you know, I'm going to take what you said and see if there's any truth in it. I have finally come to that place. I wish I could have told you at 35 I was, I was at that place where somebody could tell me something about me that hurt. But I needed the pain in order to experience the gain in my life. And I'm so overjoyed now when I read things and hear things that I look and go, I'm guilty of that. You see, most people live their whole lives in two modes, manipulation or intimidation. That's how most people live because it's how most of us were taught. If I can't intimidate you, I will manipulate you. And neither is healthy. When we start trying to maneuver people for our own gain and our own good, that's manipulation. When we intimidate people by threatening them and giving ultimatums, that's unhealthy. We're called to love people, called to be kind to people. We're called to respond to evil by being good. If someone hits you on one cheek, the Bible says, turn and hit you on the other. That makes no sense to our fallen nature. If you hit me once, You know the rest of the story. <laughs> and so we fall prey to wrong information. So being honest is very important. important. Recognizing our flaws is the first step to change a personal growth. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. This is a Jew of Jews, a highly religious man. A Paul who loved God with everything in him based on the information he had prior to Christ. And when he realized that he was wrong in his assessment and appraisal of the way or the church, Paul finds himself blind on the road to Damascus. And when Ananias comes to his house, Paul quickly repents. And not only does God use him, but God sends him to the Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles hated each other. But Paul realized in that moment, I was in the right place on the, wrong, on the road to Damascus. And that God addressed me, and I could look and say, but God, they're dogs. That's what you call, that's what we call them, is dogs. But in that moment, God illuminates to Paul who they really are. And Paul changes his position. Right place, right position. His right position of thinking is that God loves all people. Instead of trying to convert the Gentiles to Orthodox Judaism, Paul begins to share Christ with everybody in the same way. Instead of trying to get them to be like him, he introduces them to someone he now wants to be like. What I'm saying is this, we all want to be happy, and there's nothing wrong with that. How we become happy is where it becomes wrong. 
trying to require everything to change for our good instead of us changing for the good of all. I recall some years back when my oldest son got his license at 16. He was a very, very diligent driver and and very good. But on a rainy day, he didn't plan. He didn't never driven on rain. It was just slight rain here in Oklahoma, and it was very slick. And so he slid just gently into another car. It wasn't a bad accident, but it, it was it was a $1,600 accident. You you ask, how do you remember? I'm getting ready to tell you how I remember. Because I made sure after that accident, I'm going to teach my son a lesson. Because this is old school stuff. Baby boomers get this. You know, I was working at 16, pretty much on my own at 16. My dad said, you can sleep here. But I worked and paid for my car, my insurance, my clothes, my food. I paid for everything. So this is old school. So how do you, how do you behave? You behave the way you were brought up, right? Because it seemed to work for you. No, you're just one mean, angry old man. Anyway, so, so my, I tell my son, I said, well, you know what? You're going to pay for that. So over time, he paid it out. Years later, as I'm preaching, because I listen to myself as well, what I preach to you, I have to go home with, and I'm often depressed that I preach the message I preached. God's saying, you thought this was for everybody else. I really was talking to you. Nobody else got it. Didn't intend for him to. You're the problem. Okay, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. I will continue on preaching to me every Sunday. So years later, I, one day, out of the blue, it's like God spoke to me. And he said, you know, I want you to give the money back to your son that you punished him with. So I wrote him a note, and I wrote a check for $1,600, and I sent it to him. I said, when you had your first accident, I required that you pay for that accident, and I was wrong. And I sent him the money. It was a personal change for me to realize that I had to be honest about things in my life that I had done wrong. And that has been a part of my life for some time now. Even though I still do wrong, I have no problem anymore saying I was wrong. And to me, it's not about living a perfect life. It's about responding to a perfect Savior because all have fallen short of God's glory. And we've all sinned. And I tell parents this, and I've told them for years. You encourage your children to tell you the truth. And when they tell you the truth, you still punish them like they didn't. And I think that's wrong. We ought to honor people who come back and say, I repent, because that's what Jesus does to us. And so, why would a kid come to you a second time if you punished them after they told you the truth? They're not going to come to you. We've got to realize that when my son made that mistake, it was a mistake. And he didn't try to get out of it and say, well, this happened or that happened. He told me the truth, and I punished him. As though he had told me a lie. What I'm saying is to grow personally and to develop personally, we have to be honest with ourselves. And we have to take a look at us before we look at anybody else. If we're ever going to grow. And I'm going to kind of close with this. And this is 
if I could have gotten up and said, what part of the sermon do you want people to hear? It would be this part. Many, if not most people, spend their lives trying to explain why they are the way they are instead of spending their energy and life becoming who they can become. Well, you don't understand how I grew up. You don't understand all I've gone through. You don't understand the pain and suffering I've experienced. You don't understand how difficult it's been for me. You don't understand how it is to be treated the way I've been treated. You don't understand. In other words, I'm trying to explain to you instead of saying, you know what? I don't need to explain why I am the way I am. I want to spend my time and energy becoming who I can become. Recently had a pastor tell me that. I was talking to him from Houston. He said, Mark... He said, you don't have to explain one more thing in your life. He said, what's over is over. What's done is done. He said, you need to just move on. It was the greatest counsel I had received in years. Feeling like I'm always explaining myself. You feel like you've always got to explain yourself. You feel like you're always trying to tell somebody why you did what you did. Why you've been where you've been. What happened in your life. Instead of saying, I'm spending my energy going from glory to glory and becoming the person God wants me to become. Some people won't let you do that. They'll, they'll put duct tape on your back, pull on you, hook you. You just have to keep moving. You have to keep walking. You have to keep smiling. You have to keep loving. If you move forward, you will intersect with your future. If you keep turning back, You'll experience everything you've always experienced. The same anger, the hate, the meanness. The right place, the right position of mind, and the right people. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Some of y'all have been hanging out with aluminum too long. There ain't no sharpening going on in your life at all. It's just crumbled up chrome. <laughs> you need to get around people that will sharpen you, not be mean to you. But say, hey, have you ever thought about, may I suggest, what if you did this? You know, I've told people I, years ago, I, I, I knew psychology was not my thing. I'm not that smart. I was only in it for God to fix me. But people would come to me with problems, and I'd finally just ask a few questions. I didn't give a lot of answers. I just asked a few questions. I'd ask questions like, well, do you go to church? And, of course, they immediately turned that to eternity. You know what? The hardest thing in the world is not getting to heaven. Matter of fact, going to heaven is really easy. Can I be honest with you? I know religious people. I'm going to get cards and letters and Facebook remarks and Instagram pictures. <laughs> The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's faithful and just to forgive us if we'll repent, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To me, that's pretty easy. Now, Jesus paid that price. The hardest thing is not going to heaven. The hardest thing is bringing heaven to earth. The hardest thing for me is bringing heaven to me. And whenever we gather in the name of Jesus and we come together in church, we're gathering his name and we're bringing a little bit of heaven because he said, I'll inhabit the praises of my people. So when we come together collectively and we're worshiping God, we're bringing a little bit of heaven to earth every Sunday. And you can do it every day by yourself. I get that. But the Bible tells us to not forsake gathering together. 
And in a world of technology, we have ex- excluded these mandates in the Bible. And we have, we've overlooked them and we said they don't mean anything anymore. Folks, they mean everything. In a world that's sicker than it's ever been. I would ask the question, do you, do you worship the Lord? Do you go to church? Do you obey the Bible? If they can answer yes to all those, I'd go then rejoice in the Lord always. You're going through hell, just don't put your foot on the brake. And you know what? If you'll keep doing what you're doing, you'll get on the other side. But most of the time they say, well, you know, we haven't been in church in a while. Well, we don't worship. Well, you know, we don't obey. We don't, you know, we, I've got bitterness toward my dad. I don't give. And they show, I don't do any of those things. I can't help you. I just look at them and say, there's nothing I can do. The simple truths of the Bible are the greatest counselors of all. You forgive people who have hurt you. You love those who hate you. You do things sacrificially. Because that's what Jesus did. It's what Paul did. We continue. But here's what happens. We keep sacrificing and people keep hurting us. And we start making decisions based on their response to us instead of God's promises to us. If I never am loved, and I've loved my whole life, it doesn't change my responsibility to keep loving. If I forgive, and nobody ever apologizes to me or repents to me, my job is to keep forgiving. Your response to me does not change my obligation to God. And we must understand that, because over time, people quit loving because people don't love in return. People quit forgiving because people keep hurting them. And over time, you allow what somebody does to you or says to you or how they respond to you determine how you're going to live your life. Personal development and growth requires that we don't live life based on other people's response to us. We live life based on His promises to us. If you'll forgive, you'll be forgiven. Love always because love never fails. These are truths that are very difficult. When I say being a Christian is hard, I believe it's very hard because we're asked to do things, required and mandated to do things that go against how we feel. And we feel the way we feel because the DNA of Adam and Eve run through our veins today. We want what we're told we can't have. You can eat from any tree in the garden. It's all beautiful except one. Which one do we eat from? The same one Eve went to. That's the one you can't hit. That's the one I want. When I say being a Christian is hard, it's because it means, like Paul said, I have to crucify my flesh every day. I hear this all the time. People say, do we have to go to church tomorrow? No, you don't have to. You get to. It's like church is some painful obligation, like you're going to the dentist and going to have a wisdom tooth pulled without any anesthetic. (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, I have to go to church. Can't wait. I want to sit at the gate with Jesus for about 1,000 years, and I just want to hear all the things coming in, and I want to sit there and laugh. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't go to church because you had three kids. (laughs) One of them spit up. (laughs) You had a little spit up on your shoulder. I just want to see how these fly. 
I do. I want to hear Jesus respond. Really? It was a bad day for me on the cross. Do you remember that day? It's really tough. You know, they were telling me what they were going to do, but when they really did it, wow. <laughs> Made me think twice. Yeah. Think about the price he paid. And now all we have to do is overcome some emotional, mental, physical challenges that, yeah, they're tough. Forgiving somebody who's been hurtful to you. You've been hurtful to people too. We need to have a heart for God's house. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of personal development. It's a place of growth. It's a place of worship. It's not going to be easy to become who you want to become. All hell is against you. But you have a name that's above every name. And it's the name of Jesus. And sometimes it's the only thing I can say. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I just look and say, Jesus. And I believe he sets up and goes, you don't need to say anything else. I know everything. It's like WWE. He's in the corner, and all you did was went over and slapped his hand. He goes, I'm in. And his wrestling is not fake. He body slams Satan while you're over in the corner drinking a Red Bull, wiping off the sweat. All you did was slap his hand and say, Jesus, I got it. I got it. The length of our prayers, the eloquence of our prayers, that's not what moves God. It's the faith in our hearts and that word that says that is the name above pain, unforgiveness, bitterness, betrayal. That's the name. You can love anybody and everybody if his love lives in you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment. There may be those of you in here that are struggling, have not followed God. I remember sitting in a church, 20 years old, almost 21, hearing a message like this, and I heard the same message everybody else heard. Everybody had to hear it for themselves, and everybody had the chance to make a decision at the end of that service as to what they were going to do with the invitation extended. If you don't know Jesus today, and you would like to, we want to pray a prayer. In that day, they asked us, would you please lift your hand? And I lifted my hand that day, knowing that my life was never going to change. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I was doing the same thing day after day and hoping things would change. Finally, one day, I heard something from that pastor and that message that I believed. That, Mark, if you want things to be different, you're going to have to do something different. And I started that day. And I continue today to fight myself to do things differently in order to get the results I want in life. And it's a pain some days. 
And it's the same pain. And it occurs in the same place. It's like Paul having a thorn in the flesh. I feel like every now and then I've got this thorn in my flesh. And every day that I wake up, God says, forgive. Yeah, it's going to come to your mind every day for the rest of your life. I want it to go away. And God says, use it. Use it. Use it to change. Use it in your life to change today. This is going to serve you the rest of your life to remind you, forgive, 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 forgive. I want to pray a prayer right now. and I want to ask all of us to pray this prayer. But there are going to be those of you that pray this prayer that you're making a decision to follow Jesus today. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ, your only Son, to suffer and to die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for willingly giving your life for me, for dying for my sin. Today I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Amen.